0: everyone this is Kim C and you're listening to the year of underrated Stephen King. This is a one-woman Stephen King book podcast brought to you by a university fiction teacher doing her ultimate best to bring some literary sunlight to the Stephen King titles in shadow. Hello friends! I hope wherever you are the weather is bringing a bit of spring, perhaps some precious animals are in your sight, some frolicking bunnies, prancing lambs, something precious to bring about the season. I hope the flowers are in bloom and the allergy symptoms are at a minimum, except for you, my Aussies, heading into winter. But everybody else, hopefully, wherever you are, the weather is warming up. Speaking of warming up, we did it, guys. We have the power to bring forth Kim C's top 15 Stephen King novellas. Oh, So thrilled, so incredibly excited to bring this list to everybody. I didn't think it was going to happen, but shortly after we concluded our 4 Past Midnight coverage, I was doing a bit of scribbling, wondering just how many novellas I had completed over the years, if I had enough for all the categories I desire, and sure enough, we do. As you guys know, because I'm not done with my Stephen King journey, I still have to read Night Shift. I still have to read Nightmares and Dreamscapes. I got a long way to go. I might be missing some novellas that might be in those two titles, as well as some others floating around in independent publications that I just haven't got my hands on yet. So, yes, these ranking episodes are not set in stone, but they are tentatively where we're at. If you guys have listened to my past ranking episodes, I, of course, have my top 15 Stephen King short stories. I'm aware I haven't read all the short stories yet, so those numbers and positions can definitely change in the future, but for right now, I feel pretty good with where they're at. The same with the novellas we're about to talk about, as well as my top nine Stephen King novels. I only have a top nine, five gold, four silver, because I'm just not done yet. I just haven't read everything, so I feel really good about those nine. We'll get to 15 soon. Promise, promise. It's gonna happen. But if you guys haven't yet listened to a Kim C ranking episode, let me explain myself because it's a little bit unique. So how it's going to work, how I feel it most appropriate to break these titles down is to kind of obey my own compass with what feels right while still utilizing the International Olympic Committee's ranking system. I think it's simple, I think it works, but I've got my own spin on it. So if you are just tuning in for the first time, how it works is we have our gold, silver, and bronze placements. However, because I'm an educator, I have to have a table of honorable mentions. We have five titles for each table. We will have five honorable mentions, five bronze recipients, five silver, and five gold. So here's where it's a bit unique though. I want you to think of a round table and really channel Arthur's round table from Arthurian legend, his knights of the round table all had an equal slice. They all had an equal little pie piece to sit at. That is how you should observe these award recipients. So for example, the first gold mentioned has the exact same caliber or worth as the last gold mentioned. So nobody is one-upping each other if you're seated at the table. It is five equal pie slices, equal chairs, everybody gets an equal slice of the glory. So we will have our top 15, five gold, five silver, and five bronze. And because I just feel it so strongly in my heart and soul, I have to have a table of honorable mentions. So technically speaking, we will be talking about 20 Stephen King novellas that made these seats. However, only the top 15 receive a medal, gold, silver, bronze. Honorable mentions, I really should give them something because they're not seated on the stage. They're kind of off a little bit. They're not on (laughs) the elevated seating. They're not in the shadow or anything. There's definitely some light on them. They're going to be able to eat the same refreshments and cocktail hour as everybody else perhaps some sort of plaque or some sort of badge or button, (laughs) we might have to think of something. But yes, the honorable mentions will lead into our bronze, silver, and then our last will be our gold. So another few things to keep in mind as we head into this episode, I'm going to be announcing the page numbers of each of these stories because Novellas kind of require that. We're going to talk more about that here in just a second. But just know when I announce the page numbers, I am using my personal copies of these stories and they are all American hardcovers. So if you've got paperbacks at home or you have the UK editions or other European editions, our page numbers might be slightly off. So take these numbers with a grain of salt. We might be a little bit off. However, I want to mention the page numbers because That really dictates the novella parameters, friends. Now that you have that in mind, I'm going to be talking about page numbers. In case we all weren't aware of what a novella is, it has everything to do with page numbers. Traditionally speaking, I know these figures vary a little bit. So, from my personal experience in my MFA coursework, as well as being an educator and reading a lot of novellas, According to scholars, there are some definitive parameters on what separates a short story from a novella and a novella from a novel. It is all about page numbers. To really put us in that mind frame of a novella, it is over 50 pages, double-spaced, under 250 pages, double-spaced. So that is approximately 17,000 words maybe 18. Yeah, (laughs) 18,000 words to 50,000 words. Some scholars are really strict about it and they're like, nope, it's 1740. 70,000 words to 40,000 words, that's a novella. But there's always some wiggle room with these things. So for me, anytime we go over that 50 page mark, we're headed into the novella category. I'll say double spaced just for ease there. Some people say that it's 70 pages, but we're just going to have a little bit of gray area and wiggle room. So just to fully encompass what a novella is, over 50 pages, under 250. Right when you're knocking on the door of 250, you're headed into novel. So if you are a creative writer out there and you're working on your composition and you notice, according to your page setup, you got your margins, you've got your page spacing. If you are at 250, double spaced, you got novel buddies. If you go over, you're headed into novel. Under 250, novella. Kind of keep that in mind as we go forward. I think it's kind of cool when we take a look at the lengths of some of these stories because it's why I love them so much. I'm such a passionate, passionate novella fan, especially a King novella fan, because this guy, as we know, what he does with his epic novels, the thousand pagers, His standard novel length is around four to five hundred. We're just given such a rich world an unforgettable set of characters. You know, great stuff. But I love when King doesn't have all that much room to work with when he stops it short or when he has the intention of not going very long, then everything has to burn a little brighter because he doesn't have as much runway. I am such a passionate novella consumer, but with King, oh man, guys, there's just like, the passion cannot be contained. Most of you who have heard some of my past novella collection episodes, I think I'm just a little higher strung, way overexcited just because, oh man, they give me life. They give me wings. What he can do in a smaller space, it's just incredible. This is another reason why I nerd out on the short stories so hard because the shorter, the smaller space you have, the more everything counts. There's not a lot of wiggle room to flesh things out, to build it out. Because we always talk about, in regards to King television and film adaptations, we want eight to 10 episodes. We want long form television in order to let these stories breathe, let these characters have development. We want it longer, 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 longer. And so when King himself gives himself strict boundaries of space, oh man, that's something I want to pay attention to. I want to see what he does in that smaller arena. So super excited to nerd out with you guys in regards to Stephen King novellas. I have the 15 ready to go. Rather, I have the 20 ready to go. So once more, before we head into honorable mentions, just a heads up, I do my very, very best to be opaque and vague with some of the character arcs and the overall endings to the story. I'm going to do my very, very best. However, the more excited I get and the closer we get to gold, stuff might fly out of my mouth, folks. And so apologies in advance. If you've never read one of the novellas I'm talking about and I let something slip, I'm so sorry. I think it best if you make sure you are relatively caught up with the Stephen King novellas. You know a little bit about them. You've read them maybe in the past, maybe more recently would be great. Just kind of keep that in mind because I don't want to ruin anything, but I'm going to work really hard, really, really hard to just be ambiguous. That is the name of the game. We're just going to keep it gray and make sure I don't ruin anything. Okay. All right, my friends. I am beyond thrilled to have these titles ready to go. They are tentative, of course. I know I haven't read everything. There might be some novellas lurking within Night Shift and Nightmares and Dreamscapes I haven't read, as well as floating around out there and I need to get my hands on them. These numbers and placements can change. They can. But for right now, today, 2023, I feel real good about them. Next up is our first round of award recipients. We have five novellas who will receive the honorable mention. Get your dress on, shine your shoes. We're headed into the award ceremony. I'll see you inside. Let's start the show. Everyone, let's get it. Let's head in. Let's dip our toe in the water. The honorable mentions there are five. My first honorable mention you may have heard me speak of this novella with a lot of anger and disdain. <laughs> I, I'm sad about that. I should be impartial as an academic, I should always try for objectivity. However, Some stories, like this novella, are so depraved and unsettling and upsetting, I I can't help but have an emotional reaction of how much I didn't like it. However, when it comes to objectivity, I will say this novella has some fascinating stuff going on, and that is, of course, the 196-page novella found within different seasons. It is the Summer of Corruption, apt pupil. Ah! (laughs) Oh, friends, where do we begin? Okay, we've got this little punk kid named Todd, who's about, if I'm remembering correctly, 15 years old, seeking out a local man by the name of Kurt Dusander. Kurt Dusander happens to be a Nazi who escaped prosecution and has been conveniently hiding in plain sight. This whole story is about young Todd blackmailing Kurt Dusander, pretty much immediately saying, I will reveal who you are unless you tell me everything you did at the concentration camps. I want to know about everything. So this young man is immediately a very curious character. And let's just say his relationship with Kurt is... So incredibly inappropriate, ladies and gentlemen. This novella is as dark as it can get. However, I will balance out my horror and my intense dislike for this novella with the fact that, wow, there is some psychological gold mines in here, guys. This is just an incredible story to study, to observe the behavior between these two gentlemen the manipulative mind games between the two of them. And even though one is significantly younger than the other, they're both psychopaths, borderline sociopaths, if not both, psycho and socio. The parameters completely meet in the middle, narcissism on both sides. It's just incredible. Psychologically fascinating. However, folks, if you have never read Apt Pupil, just know you are headed into a novella with a ton of animal violence, a lot of murder, full-on homicide in your face, a lot of incredibly upsetting tales about what happened to the Jews in Germany, what happened to these victims of the Holocaust. It's icky. When I finished reading this novella, friends, I felt like I had this filthy residue on my soul, and that's pretty powerful. A, that means the writing is just firing on all cylinders to be that memorable, and B, it's just the content is so on another level of depravity. Much to dislike about Apt Pupil from a personal, subjective place from this reader, me, However, I will also, in the same vein, say that this is impressive psychologically. This is something that made me incredibly curious. I just feel like you're watching a car accident in slow motion the whole time. Because I have such a strong subjective distaste for this one, it is not making the podium, not going to be allowed on the stage with the other <laughs> medal recipients. However, there is a lot of great stuff in this story to pick apart, to analyze. It's incredibly strong, unforgettable, and horrifying. Completely and utterly horrifying. I think some people really love it for its dark depths. They really celebrate it for that. And that's fine. I could see that. I can see why one could debate that that is worth celebrating. There's a lot of interesting things to celebrate in this story. However, it just gave me the ick so deep down, everyone. So yeah, apt pupil, you get a seat (laughs) at the honorable mention table. I also love how when I discuss apt pupil, I can really blab a long time, guys. There's just a lot to say on this one, If you are interested in revisiting that story, I recommend, because it is just, it's a dark one. All the human evil is at the forefront. If you're in a delicate mindset, please don't. Please don't abuse yourself and head that way. However, if you are interested in sort of King really coming at two characters with some psychologically advanced character building... I'm impressed. I'm really impressed at the dynamic between these two freaks in this story. So, lots to say it is forever going to be an honorable mention and it will never make the podium. Yep, nope, not going to. I mean, never say never. I could get lobotomized. I could have a head injury down the road and see it differently. Unknown. But for right now, Apt Pupil is our first chair at the honorable mentions table. Next up, we have another disturbing tale that I recently explored on the podcast. So, some of you guys might have heard that one. And hopefully, you're a little fresh on what it was all about. This was another greatly upsetting story called The Library Policeman. This is 204 pages found within 1989s, or is it 1990? Could be 1990, either 89 or 90, four past midnight. Now that I say that, I'm pretty sure it's 1990. Four past midnight is where you'll be able to find the library policeman. Lots of cool stuff in there. I really enjoyed some of the blueprints for future King villains for those constant readers out there who have read a lot of his work. Lots of strong stuff within library policeman. I really liked a lot of things, specifically the villain. She is a female, she is very cool and very monstrous. That is all I will say but the library policeman has some great stuff in there. However, I had a ton of problems when it came to character cohesion, character arcs. You guys can jump back to that episode to explore some of the issues I had. So the library policeman will be seated next to apt pupil at the honorable mentions table. On to our third seat. This is a 64-page story found within 2020's novella collection release of If It Bleeds. This one is called The Life of Chuck. I enjoyed this one. It is lighthearted, kind of somber, kind of happy, has a little bit of a sci-fi edge to it. It's not exactly post-apocalyptic, but it's about a man named Chuck who's living the final hours of modern civilization before the world ends. So the narration is kind of ominous, it's a little spooky, and of course it being released during the pandemic was super fun. But it's curious, it's heartfelt and warm, and has a lot of poignant reflection, which I enjoyed. So it's a modern King novella, really utilizing a lot of our modern day conveniences, but also shining light on this very ominous, all-encompassing doom that is about to befall everyone. And yet there's some curious stuff. Is it a doom for all of us or is it a doom for just one man named Chuck? Really, really good stuff. Really interesting. It is one that I think of with fondness However, I don't know if there was just enough in there for me to break it into the other categories of bronze, silver, and gold. I think we just needed a little bit more there. However, I do remember finding a lot of merit, a lot of very poignant reflection found within the writing. A lot to appreciate there. Our third honorable mention is The Life of Chuck from If It Bleeds. Next on our list is another story from Four Past Midnight. As you guys know or might have heard on our last episode, I enjoyed Four Past Midnight, but I did have some issues with some of those stories, so I am finding that a lot of them are going to be a little bit lower in my rankings when it comes to observing the Stephen King novellas with higher esteem. This next one I've been thinking about recently now that I have began my Dark Tower journey. This novella is found within the short story collection of Everything's Eventual, which I believe is a 2002 release, might be wrong on that, The Little Sisters of Alluria. This is a 66-page story, and I remember reading it years ago uh, when the podcast was just a sweet little baby, and I was so confused, and I was a little ticked off that it was such a long story. It was definitely a novella, or knocking right at the door of a novella, right over that 50 pages. And at the time, I just didn't get it. I had no idea what was going on. It was just... And I, I do think that the reread I recently gave it was much more enjoyable. I know who Roland is. I know what he's been up to. The sisters were just weird and delightful. Now that I have started my Dark Tower journey, I really do enjoy the little sisters and picking it apart, hearing others pick it apart and shed some light on what exactly is happening here. So I want to give it an honorable mention. I like this little branch from the Dark Tower universe. I find it very interesting and rather intriguing that we kind of have this standalone tale. It is still very strange and a weird one indeed, but I do like it for that and I like its connection to Roland and where he's currently at. I actually think the timeline lined up quite nicely for this story. So my next pick For an honorable mention recipient is the Little Sisters of Eloria from Everything's Eventual. All right, lovies, our final and fifth spot goes to a four past midnight story that is the 246-page novella that is The Langoliers. Oh, folks, hopefully in my episode I did this novella justice. What an amazing premise, everyone. What a very cool King sci-fi take about a plane proceeding through a rip in reality and what all that entails, what it means. Some wonderful King sci-fi is featured prominently and I think he does a great job with that scientific method approach to the narrative what he's trying to describe, what he's trying to get us to look like, the data he wants us to collect as we're making our way into this parallel world that is not like our own, but it looks like our own. I love the terrifying setting of that jumbo jet. Ugh, I I don't do well on planes, so there's some great stuff in here, folks. However, as you heard from my most recent episode, we got some problems toward the end. Just doesn't land well. And even though Stephen King, for us constant readers out there, his stories are all about the journey, this one didn't work for me, everyone. I did not like how the ending really soured the whole adventure for me. I think he had an opportunity to really give us a gut punch at the end, a real Twilight Zone kind of smack in the face to really wake us up, but he didn't. I do feel the story suffered because of it. So, this is one of those tales where I do wish King would have made some different decisions. However, because I enjoy the premise so much, I love the sciencey bits he plugs in without even realizing. The Langoliers receives my last seat at the honorable mentions table. Let's recap once more before we head out of here and talk about who's at the HM table. Firstly, we have the ultra-despicable, yet fascinating, 196-page apt pupil from different seasons. Right next to that den of freaks is the 204-page library policeman from Four Past Midnight. After that is the life of Chuck from If It Bleeds. Next, we have the weird, 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 weird yet delightful Little Sisters of Eloria from Everything's Eventual at 66 pages, and finally, Soaring Through the Sky at 50,000 feet or more, the 246-page The Langoliers from Four Past Midnight. Those are our five honorable mentions. The five who are sitting just a little bit off to the stage, they're going to go get some refreshments. Meanwhile, Let's roll up our sleeves for the main event. Our next section is going to the bronze table, awarding five Stephen King novellas with that third place spot. I'll see you there. Okay, my honey bears, we've reached the main stage. Let us get ready to hand out some awards to our bronze winners, our bronze recipients, of which there are five. The first novella to receive that third-place seat at our bronze table is one we've recently finished from Four Past Midnight. This is the 154-page novella entitled Secret Window, Secret Garden. Oh my goodness, friends. This one, uh, the star of this narrative is, of course, King's use of that unreliable narrator. There's just nothing like it. When you, as the reader, realize the person telling the story cannot be trusted, something is wrong, something is definitely not right. So good. With our main narrator struggling to keep his clutch on reality. Lots of good gothic elements featured throughout. I know I did have a few problems toward the latter end of the story. However, much to celebrate, much to pick apart and analyze. I love the twisty nature within Secret Window, Secret Garden. Really good stuff. That is our first recipient of the bronze from 1990's Four Past Midnight. Our second seat at the bronze table is the 187-page novella called If It Bleeds from the 2020 novella collection, If It Bleeds. So this one I've really enjoyed as this is a novella connected to The Outsider, also connected to the Mr. Mercedes trilogy as it features Holly Gibney. For those constant readers out there, we know King's upcoming 2023 novel is entitled Holly It's going to be completely Holly Gibney-focused, so this is going to be, oh my gosh, what, this is like the fourth or fifth tale where Holly Gibney is one of the main protagonists. I enjoyed If It Bleeds because of its connections to The Outsider, which is a really, really cool King police procedural. Holly Gibney is also at a state of her character development where she's definitely put on the private investigator hat. And she seems to be doing a great job. She's got a good handle on her personal life, her private life. She's got a sense of balance and a sense of purpose, which she received from her bond with Bill Hodges, the main character from the Mr. Mercedes novel. Bill Hodges was himself a detective and really took Holly under his wing, so they had a wonderful bond together. If you're interested in that kind of master protege thing, Good stuff with Bill and Holly. Lots to celebrate there. But If It Bleeds is a really cool case where Holly Gibney shines very bright. We feel in good hands as the reader. I thought it was a really good story that illuminated her growth. So if you're a Holly Gibney fan, make sure you check out If It Bleeds. Our next novella. So this one's a little bit weird because we've actually discussed this story by itself and I don't think at the time when I did the episode for this 146-page tale, I don't know if I called it a novella, but it definitely is, and that is Elevation. You guys remember that one? So this was a little bit interesting because as I was making the list of novellas, I was looking at page numbers, of course, and Elevation is a novella. It totally is, and I know that I kind of just treat it as like a weird little story. I should have just put the novella label on it, but this one has a lot of heart for being so small and so strange. It is about an older man who is losing weight. He is losing mass, (laughs) as I would put it, but body shape is the same, so there is no body changes indicating that he is slimmer It's just, he's getting lighter (laughs) and lighter and lighter. It's very Willy Wonka. I think I had a lot of fun in my episode where I talk about this story. It is a novella. It is. And it's a strong one. It's a delightful one. It's one that's hopeful and sweet and has an ending that kind of makes you give a little half smile just a little bit. I think that was King's intention. It's strange. It's just very... Almost like a tiny little speed bump, and you will miss it unless you're paying attention. Elevation. I think that we definitely need to plug that in as a novella. I wanted to award it the bronze. So please make sure you have it in your sights if you haven't read it yet. As far as I know, it's not connected to a novella collection. It's just a standalone little guy, but we're going to throw it in the novella category based on page numbers alone. So this next one kind of violates all the novella page limit rules that we talked about (laughs) at the beginning, but because this story is in fact inside a novella collection and I really, really enjoy it, it is receiving the bronze even though technically speaking it is a short story based on length. So I did struggle with this because technically everything I'm talking about in regards to a novella does not apply to this story because I'm very impartial to absolutely stellar novella collection that is full dark, no stars. I, I can't resist everyone. So yes, technically, page number-wise, not a novella. However, fair extension. Let's talk about it. It is a little over 30 pages, if not 30 exactly. So yeah, a short story. But this is, of course, a deal with the devil narrative that is so much fun. As you know, me being a Randall Flagg fan, I kind of like my devil stuff (laughs) in terms of villains. This one's just fun. And what I love about it is that at the very end, you'd think there would be a kind of moral come to Jesus, for lack of a better phrase, or rather a sort of moral regret or regression to atone for what's been done. And there's a surprise in that, folks. Check out Fair Extension if you haven't. It's a quick little ditty that is a short story, but because it's lumped in with all the other novellas, I did want to give it some love. This is one that maybe in the future I will chop just because it doesn't have the chops of being a novella. And if we're going to be strict, we're going to be strict. So I would say our next go-around fair extension will most likely be at the Honorable Mentions category, if not out altogether just based on page length. We'll see, but for right now, we're just giving it some special treatment. Fair extension from Full Dark, No Stars. Our last seat at the bronze table is the 150-page novella found within 1990's Four Past Midnight. The Sun Dog. This one was definitely my favorite, folks. I loved this story. I loved really everything about it. We've got a haunted object in there with the Polaroid Sun 660 camera. We have this very ominous dog on the film, which I don't think I mentioned this in my Sun Dog episode and I definitely should have, but because I haven't read this novel, of course I didn't talk about it. In my research, I realized that a lot of people believe Cujo is actually the dog featured within the sun dog. Is that true? I don't know. I haven't read Cujo yet. If that's a thing and it's like, duh, everybody knows that, forgive me. (laughs) Friends, forgive me because I know not what I say. If it's, yeah, 1000% Cujo, my apologies. That's a huge thing I missed. I just haven't read Cujo yet. I'm really looking forward to reading Cujo. I've just heard so many good things. I've heard that it's so much more than a rabid dog story, which I loved. That's exactly how I felt about Christine, because Christine is so much more than a haunted car story. Whoa! Christine is incredible. It's so deep, so much deeper than just a bad, possessed devil car. Man, light years ahead of that. So I've heard the same thing about Cujo, that there's a really rich story in there. I will get around to it. I'm looking forward to it. But the Sundog was fantastic. So many cool things within that story, especially meeting Pop Merrill, a really good character. Not a good person, but a very enjoyable character to spend some time with. I liked it. Definitely worth a seat at the bronze just for everything it brought. All the cool, all the creepy, all the mystery. Loved it. Really, really enjoyed the sundog. Looking forward to reading that one again and spending some more time with Mr. Merrill. Okay, before we jump to the silvers, let's recap all of our bronze award winners all sitting next to each other at the bronze round table. Firstly, we have Secret Window, Secret Garden, 154 pages from Four Past Midnight. Next, we have the 187 page, If It Bleeds, from the If It Bleeds novella collection. Holly Gibney is the main star in that one. It is a Holly Gibney installment. Check it out if you haven't. Next, we have the independently released 146-page novella that is Elevation. Super cute. Cute, cute, cute. That's all I got for that one. Lots of warmth in unexpected places. Lots of levity, quirky, whimsy. Cute stuff. Next, we have one that will most likely not survive the next ranking, but still really good, really interesting, and I do like my deal with the devils the 30-page short story within the Full Dark No Stars novella collection, Fair Extension. And lastly, we have the 150-page novella from Four Past Midnight, The Sundog. Those are our bronze medal winners, folks. What do you think? Hopefully nobody's banging for my blood at this point. <laughs> it's just gonna get more intense as we head up. Super excited to talk about those silvers with all of you coming up next. Okay, me wee bairns, now that I'm back from the powder room, we've got just enough time for a breath mint and then on with the show. We are now at our silver table. We have five silver recipients. The first one, getting excited. This is the 110-page novella found within full dark, no stars. This is Big Driver. Oh my god, oh my god my hands just shot up. I love this story. Oh my goodness, friends. Okay, this one, much like Apt Pupil, is disturbing. However, it's a whole different kind of disturbing. There's some rough stuff in here, particularly in the category of sexual violence. So if you are a survivor, watch out. Tread carefully going into this tale because holy shiitake mushrooms, it be real. This is a story about a women's fiction author. I hate to use that moniker, but it is appropriate given the tale. Her name is Tess. She is driving along a main back road, much like one of our favorite females, Mrs. Todd from Mrs. Todd's Shortcut, taking a back road. Tess is there. She gets a flat tire right in front of a rather average looking rest stop that just happens to be closed and a truck driver pulls over one individual of very large stature and let's just say it's real bad tess is attacked she is raped she is left for dead intense stuff then after that the story really hits the gas because tess survives and i really liked breaking down this story inside my first episode of Full Dark No Stars, because I have this theory in King's work when it comes to a character that is brutally attacked and left for dead, they kind of hypothetically die. So I really unpack that in my Big Driver coverage. But I love this novella so much because of the straight up revenge that goes down. There's a lot of plotting and calculating and just balls to the wall action. It is dark it is intense wow i love it oh my god i love it this was almost gold almost but of course we had some heavy heavy hitters in our gold table so big driver i feel very confident putting it at the silver if you are ready for a really lean and mean story that will kick you in the balls whether you've got them or not make sure you check out big driver All right, our second recipient of the silver placement is found within different seasons. This is the last tale featured, A Winter's Tale, and that is the 72-page The Breathing Method. Oh man, folks, Uh, where do I begin? The Breathing Method. I would put the big I word next to this one, infamous. I really think if you have read this Stephen King novella, you know Infamous is incredibly appropriate. I love this novella, one, because it features the Manhattan Club, which if you know, you know. This is a really cool setting off of 35th Street, if I'm remembering it correctly, in Manhattan, of course, a Manhattan brownstone to be specific, and let's just say this place is cool as hell. Definitely not your average brownstone. This place has been around a really long time. It seems like your average gentleman's club, or rather your secret society meetup, it's much more than that. It's only featured in two Stephen King stories, one being The Breathing Method in Different Seasons and the last one in The Man Who Would Not Shake Hands in Skeleton Crew. Loved that story so much. I love this one equally as much because the actual Winter's Tale, or the breathing method, is knucking futz, guys. There's just no other way around it. It has one of the most, oh my god, (laughs) moments for me in this story. That's all I can really say. I'm really, I'm shocked by it. I'm also incredibly perplexed. It's dark. It's also hauntingly beautiful. It's unsettling, but not in a way that like makes me makes my skin crawl. It's more of like, I'm in awe. I'm really in awe. This is one of those stories I don't feel can ever, ever be filmed. If it is filmed, it will need a very light touch on that ending, or rather the climactic reveal of The Winter's Tale. It's just... It's WILD, guys, in all caps. It is WILD. And it might be, depending on the reader, some people might feel a certain way and consider it in poor taste. I don't. However, I feel I could be more objective than the average bear. This one's kind of a hot button, a hot topic. It's it's intense, It's intense. It's worth discussing. It's worth analyzing. It is frightening. It's beautiful. It's sad. It is creepy. (laughs) Oh, man. I really just want to tell you the ending, but no, I can't. Not with this one. If you have not read A Winter's Tale, the last installment in different seasons, let's jump to that right away. I would love to hear your thoughts. If you are really fresh to it, I think that would be delightful. So keep that in mind. I think it's absolutely worthy of being in the silver medal category. Love it, love it, love it. There's nothing like it. The breathing method. Next up, we are going back to Full Dark No Stars for the 85-page novella, A Good Marriage. Oh my goodness, dear ones. Okay, if you want, before you head in to A Good Marriage... Let's head over to Wikipedia or whatever your favorite encyclopedia is and let's do a little bit of research on infamous Midwest serial killer Dennis Rader. I think he's from Oklahoma. I think could be wrong but Dennis Rader is also known as BTK. BTK killed a lot of people. If you are up to snuff with your serial killers, you know what I'm talking about. Really upsetting stuff I don't like to talk about serial killers in a glorifying light, not the podcast for that. However, King was greatly inspired by Dennis Rader's personal life and the fact that he was married to the same woman for many decades. So this lady was married to Dennis Rader the whole time he was murdering and had no idea. And so King does a really fantastic job with spitting a terrifying tale of a long-married couple. The wife, she discovers some stuff that she wasn't supposed to discover. Her life is completely altered after, and it really asks that question. What would you do if the person you loved, your romantic partner, the one you said those vows to, what would you do if you found out they were a heinous homicidal maniac sleeping right next to you oh my god i mean maybe you're the freak who is the actual person doing those things if that's the case i don't know what to tell you i can't touch that maybe you should divorce (laughs) but it's amazing wow this story is white hot it is absolutely incredible it is thrilling crazy climactic ending there is a film adaptation Wasn't crazy about the casting. I think I talk about that in my coverage of A Good Marriage. But oh man, I think about this one and just cheer because this one is such a thrill ride. Such a thrill ride, folks. Oh man. Oh man! Make sure you check out the 85-page novella within Full Darkness Stars, A Good Marriage. Heading into our fourth spot for our silver recipient is the 134-page novella, The Mist. Yeah, guys, remember when we talked about Skeleton Crew? The Mist is the very first title within the Skeleton Crew collection. It is... Most definitely a novella. It's a huge kickoff to the collection. Absolute creature feature thrill ride, monsters everywhere. We've got a bunch of townsfolk trapped in a grocery store. All hell breaks loose. We've got some awesome sociological breakouts happening, guys. So if you're somebody who loves sociology like myself, loves to see what happens when the chips are down and everybody starts grouping together and combining their crazy fascinating stuff really really well done i think there was one or two things in the plot i wasn't thrilled with but very very minor the film is great because frank darabont did it so of course but the mist is just timeless action cool with a strong heaping ice cream scoop of some fascinating sociology make sure you check it out Pronto. It receives our fourth spot of the silver medal award winners. Check it out, the 134-page novella, The Mist. Loveys, let's conclude and award our last silver spot to another tale from If It Bleeds. Love the hell out of this one. This is the 93-page novella called Rat. This one's tremendous. I love rats in Stephen King's work. Man, I'm telling you, every single rat story is amazing. Do the math, guys. If you're a constant reader, think of a story with rats. It's probably awesome. Am I wrong? Probably not. If you find a bad rat one, let me know. I'm interested. I'll read it anyway. All I'm saying is that all of the stories that feature rats, the stories kick ass. Every time. I can name you three right now, (laughs) rat being one of them. This one is awesome. We do have another tried and true Stephen King trope where we have an author. I don't quite know if he's a bestseller. I think he's kind of at the stage in his career where it's a little bit at a trickle. And he wants to get out of town to finish his manuscript. He wants to just get it done. So he heads to the cabin. The Hand of Fate decides to get him violently ill and send a crazy snowstorm to his door so he's not doing well health-wise. The weather has really started to make it very dicey, very gnarly. And meanwhile, there might be a little psychosis happening where a rat comes to visit and actually, with a human voice, communicate with our narrator. It is wild, it is wacky, and yet it works so well. This one, I believe if I'm remembering it correctly, does channel one of my favorite Stephen King storyteller devices, and that is in regards to the monkey's paw or the be careful what you wish for. The monkey's paw is an age-old tale, really old. I think it has roots in Britannia, if I'm correct, about an Englishman coming home from India with a monkey's paw, and if one was to wish for something, it came true, but at a high, high cost. This is one of those definitely monkey's paw kind of scenario. Be careful what you wish for, because there's always a high price to pay. Oh, I love it so much. This is one I really want to read again, like today. I really, really just want to jump back to Rat and spend some time. Love it. to pieces. Really well done. The audiobook is pretty fantastic, read by Stephen Weber, if I'm remembering that correctly. He is, of course, the extraordinary talent who narrates several Stephen King stories, I believe, as well as the audiobook for it, which is, I hear, legendary. Rat. So good. Let's recap our silvers. Number one, we have Full Dark No Stars Big Driver, a thrill ride from start to finish at 110 pages. Next, we have The Winter's Tale. The Manhattan Club, 72 pages found at the end of different seasons, The Breathing Method. Next, we have the 85-page A Good Marriage, found within full dark, no stars. Dennis Rader as inspiration, BTK's wife, has a lot of explaining to do. Next, we have the 134-page kickoff story from Skeleton Crew, The Mist, Unforgettable creature feature explosion with a lot of deep stuff. And lastly, we have the 93-page novella called Rat Inside 2020's If It Bleeds. All right, folks, let's have a hot tea break and head in to the gold. We did it! We're there! I'll see you there in just a few. All right, my precious peas and carrots, welcome to the gold table. We made it! Are you ready for these five? Are you ready? Let's do it. Oh my god. When I was making my novella notes, started to rank, started to move some titles around, yeah, these five were pretty much automatic. I might have had a little bit of a qualm or two with some of the silvers, but yeah, these five... 10,000% deserve to be at the gold table. I don't know if they can be removed, (laughs) personally. I might have to just be really stupid and add more seats of gold to the table rather than the five. I won't do that, but I don't know how any of these can be removed from the gold. Personally, just me. Let's hit it with our first gold. And of course, we are going to 1982's different seasons, specifically the tale, Hope Springs Eternal, which gives us Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption. This is a 101-page novella in the American hardcover, of course. My guys, it's perfection, right? Not only do we have the iconic Frank Darabont film adaptation that is number one last time I checked on IMDb's 100 Greatest Films of All Time. The film is perfect, but also it is just such a beautiful rendering of the novella. The novella has even more depth and more charm and emotion than the film, believe it or not, And there are actually some areas where the film enhances the novella, but the novella itself made me weep. I really had an ugly cry after I read it, which don't know exactly if this is how it's always going to work with my love of King, but typically the stories that make me cry. I really have that cathartic experience with them. In order to get me to do that, as someone who has read A lot over the years. There is something about having an actual cry from a story. It's powerful. I remember it. I think about it years later. That's what this novella is like. It's gold. In all ways, this thing is gold. I love the film and I love the novella even more. And it richly deserves to be at the gold table. If you have only seen the film, please set aside some time, get yourself a copy of different seasons, and make sure you treasure each page within Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Resumption. Let's talk about it after you do. My next chair at the gold table is, of course, jumping just a few chapters over within different seasons to the fall from innocence story, and that is the 148-page novella. The body. Oh my goodness. Heavy sigh, deep breath. Friends, firstly, if you are a fan of it and you have not read the body or you've only seen Stand By Me, pump the brakes immediately. Stop everything. And we need to read the body because Chris, Gordy, Vern, Teddy, these young men in 1960 are blueprints for the Losers Club. They absolutely are. There is just charm and heart and love and sadness. All those things in childhood that we have to bury deep down as we go into adulthood. There's a lot of loss. There's a lot of stuff with parents. It's just as rich and as real as you can get. It is, of course, a quest story of these four boys going on an adventure I don't know if school has recently started or if it's still summer. I feel like this is a summer thing. I don't think they're in school yet. I feel this is like the last summer hurrah. And they set out on this adventure to see a kid who's been missing and totally died. They are on a quest to see a dead body. The film, of course, is incredible. It's perfect and 10,000 standing ovations to a young river phoenix who completely steals the show, who completely steals the film in my opinion. But anyway, unforgettable movie. The novella is just as magical. There are a couple really fun narrative segues that at first I think I was annoyed when I first read it and that's when Gordy sort of deviates from the tale and starts to insert some of his own fiction. There's one that's Goes on a little long, it's okay. There's another one that's like really funny, so I remember not being thrilled with those little deviations. But when I look at the tale as a whole, I'm fine with it because it really just enhances the characters so much more. I really do feel that as time has passed, I have even more love for this novella than when I originally read it. This is a beautiful novella about one of the strongest areas of King's fiction I think you can get, which is childhood, specifically childhood trauma and memory and the passing of time, the loss of friends, the loss of innocence, which he explores so beautifully in this novella. Guys, there's nothing like it. If you've only seen Stand By Me and you haven't read this, let's fix it immediately, friends. Please, 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 let's do it the body, 148 pages inside different seasons. Our third gold seat goes to, of course you guys know I'm gonna drop the one that started it all, that is the 131 page novella from Full Dark No Stars, the very first Stephen King story I ever read in my entire life at the age of 26, 1922. Of course, of course it's gold. A million percent it's gold. This is the one. This is the story I read and was forever changed by. That random day, I just picked it up, started reading, grabbed me by the throat. Stunningly beautiful. The film adaptation is tremendous. I think you can watch it on Netflix today if you haven't, do it. But this novella is everything, ladies and gentlemen. It is dark. Very dark. We are, of course, set in Nebraska. Very, very close to Hemingford Home. For all you Mother Abigail fans out there from the stand, I think Hemingford Home is either one town over or we are literally in Hemingford Home. I don't remember. But it is the year 1922 and... Wilmer is a farmer very attached to his land, and he has a wife who's over it. She doesn't want to live on the farm anymore. She's dreaming of the city. She wants to open a dress shop. She wants to get off of this land, wants to sell it to a pig farm that's going to pay big, big money. Technically, she can do it because it's actually her farm. Her father passed it down to her. It's her land she can do whatever she wants with it. This doesn't really jive with Wilmer's plans. He doesn't see eye to eye with that at all and decides there is really no other way to get his way other than to take out his wife. He hatches a plan to kill his wife. And he does. And that's where I'll stop. Because let's just say there are consequences to every action. Is there not, my friends? Yes. The karmic wheel comes around very swiftly in this tale. It is incredible. Violent, dark, crushing the place with symbolism. Wow. lot of dark Shakespeare in there. Lots of Seven Deadly Sins stuff oh my god, this is just, it is a story about the punishment of greed. Yes, it is. It is a 10 out of 10 for me. This is a life-changing novella. It absolutely opened my eyes. It pried them open to the powerful writing of Stephen King. This is the novella that changed my life. It 1000% will be gold forever for me if you have not yet read 1922. Let's do that immediately. If it's been a while, let's refresh and revisit why it's incredible. And oh, remember when I was talking about rats? Lots of rats in this one. I'm telling you, I'm right. Anytime there's a rat in a Stephen King story, it's going to be amazing. Just saying. The proof is there. (laughs) If you find one that is a little bit subpar, I'm all ears. I'm all eyes as well. Please make sure you send it to me. Send me the title so I can get working on it. But 1922 is everything gold. Golden, golden, golden. 131 pages, the very first story within Full Dark, No Stars. All right, lovies, my fourth gold chair goes to The 88-page novella found within If It Bleeds, Mr. Harrigan's Phone. Yes, this one! Incredible, amazing, stupendous, perfect. This one makes my heart swoon. So much to celebrate here. Of course, the Netflix movie came out last year. I loved the hell out of it. It's so perfect. It did such a beautiful job staying close to the heart of the novella but we've got some modern-day Charles Dickens in this one. We have a young boy named Craig who, at the age of nine, demonstrates himself to be a very good reader. He attends the Methodist Church in Harlow, Maine. Shout out to my revival friends. Harlow is where it's at. I digress. He's reading the Bible passage at his local church, and Mr. Harrigan is a rather old multimillionaire slash could-be-billionaire who's living in Harlow and approaches Craig's father and says, hey, your son's a good reader. My eyes aren't so great. Can you come by and read to me a couple hours once a week? So, of course, Craig does it because he's nine and wants some extra cash to have on hand. And Mr. Harrigan's nice, so this relationship begins with a very elderly, wise, kind of kind, we don't really know if he's genuinely kind, but seemingly benevolent benefactor who is a positive influence on Craig's young life. Mr. Harrigan, of course, isn't in the story for very long, and his death really provides a lot of what makes this story so awesome. It is associated with Mr. Harrigan's death and also the first-generation iPhone. I love the hell out of this, my friends. It is just so rich. A lot of great Dickens stuff that King is playing with. A ton of heart. The movie's even more tremendous. Oh, God, I love it. It has everything that I love about a Stephen King character piece. We have a young boy who suffered a lot of loss early on in his life. We have that continued loss and those painful questions as we head into adulthood. And then following your true path, finding purpose, saying goodbye when we don't want to say goodbye. Incredible. It is my favorite, favorite, favorite novella in the entire If It Bleeds collection. If you haven't read it, make sure you do. If you have, make sure you watch the film on Netflix and tell me what you think. The 88-page novella from If It Bleeds, Mr. Harrigan's Phone. Alright, loveys, the last gold. Our final seat at the golden table goes to the 250-page novella kicking off the Hearts and Atlantis story collection, low men in yellow coats. Ah, stupendous. Oh my god. I'm just clutching my head right now, trying to keep in all the power, the explosive power found within low men in yellow coats. Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god. Okay, everyone, this novella is perfection. It really is. Also, the film version of this novella specifically is called Hearts in Atlantis, featuring the dear and departed Anton Yelkin as our main character of Bobby Garfield. His performance is just transforming. He is perfection. The movie is wonderful, but this novella, everyone, where do I begin? Where do I begin? So once more, we are in the 1960s. I believe we're in Maine. We should be in Maine, but I feel like we're not. I don't know. But little Bobby Garfield is fatherless and meets a really kind older gentleman by the name of Ted Broadigan. I believe Ted is living in the room that they're renting. He and his mom, Bobby and his mom, aren't doing too well financially. And she's under a lot of stress in all the ways, being a single mom and all that good stuff. So, that's where our story kind of begins as Ted Broad again walks into their life and Bobby, not having a father, is very curious about him and Ted is really kind. very gentle and wants to sow some good life experience into Bobby's world. Meanwhile, for all of my literature folks out there, this story references Lord of the Flies. I am blanking on the name. I don't know if it's Goldman or Golding, William Golding, don't know. Lord of the Flies, everyone, which is an iconic text hopefully a lot of us read in school. If you're in the U.S., I think we all did, maybe freshman year, but Lord of the Flies is, as I mentioned, a completely iconic text that King references a lot in this story. You all know I love, love, love when he does that because he is forever an English teacher, as that is an actual profession King had back in the day when he was a struggling author, trying to get a go and... Compose fiction and keep the lights on and all that good stuff in his early career. He taught fiction. And these are the texts that you teach in fiction classes and English composition classes. And if you've read Lord of the Flies, Low Men in Yellow Coats is really going to be a rich experience. If you haven't, that's okay. However, I recommend you get the cliff notes and you get an idea of what it's about. It'll really enhance your reading. Lord of the Flies is just incredible. It is a bunch of young British boys whose boat crashes, and they're on an island, and it's all about tribal rankings and how we can all get pretty primitive really quick outside of modernity, and if we are in the natural elements, all of the hierarchy and class systems goes down the toilet, and it really is an animal kingdom. Fascinating stuff. Unforgettable book and King has it at the heart of this story. We also have that same kind of wonderful elderly benefactor relationship between Ted and Bobby, much like we have in Mr. Harrigan's phone with Mr. Harrigan and Craig. Ted is definitely the father that Bobby never had, and unfortunately, Ted is not able to stay in the story for long due to some very mysterious occurrences toward the end that have Dark Tower tie-ins. I don't exactly know how, but I am aware. Ted Brodigan is beautiful and warm and sweet. Someone who I instantly loved. He's like the grandfather that we all deserve. Such an amazing king character. And somebody spoiled that he might come back in the Dark Tower later. On. I don't know where. I don't know which novel. I've not done with my Dark Tower journey, so nobody come for me. But somebody said that he makes an appearance. I just don't know where, but when that happens, I'm gonna lose it, guys. I'm gonna lose it. I'm gonna pee myself. I'm gonna cry. It's gonna be huge. It's gonna be big. Okay, so that was probably a spoiler I shouldn't have said. See what happens, guys. See, we're already in the gold. I'm making mistakes. So, really sorry about that to anybody who didn't want to know that. <laughs> Forgive me. But yeah, I don't know in what context. I don't know in what book. And maybe I was wrong. Maybe this person was a huge liar and just lied to me. Let's hope that that's what it was. Okay, Low Men in Yellow Coats is incredible, everyone. I just, it's gold forever. This story moves me heart and soul, and the film is incredibly beautiful. Anthony Hopkins plays Ted again; He's amazing. Please, please, please watch the film to see Anton Yelkin's performance as Bobby Garfield. It's just heart-crushing, incredible. Please read this novella, folks. I know a lot of people haven't touched Hearts in Atlantis. I highly recommend you do. And Low Men in Yellow Coats just needs to be celebrated from every rooftop. This one needs to be mainstream king immediately because I don't know if it is as big as some of the other golds we've mentioned in this category, but oh man, it just melts me. I am a puddle at the end of all these golds, my guys. So Now that we're at the end, let's do a final recap of my top 15 slash 20 with our honorable mentions. Once more, beginning with the honorable mentions, we have Apt Pupil, The Library Policeman, The Life of Chuck, The Little Sisters of Alluria, The Langoliers. Those are our honorable mentions. For our bronze, we have Secret Window, Secret Garden, If It Bleeds elevation, fair extension, and the sundog. For our silvers, we have Big Driver, A Good Marriage, The Breathing Method, The Mist, and Rat. And lastly, rounding out our five golds, Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption, The Body, 1922, Mr. Harrigan's Phone, and Low Men in Yellow Coats. That's it, loves. The top 20 with the honorable mentions and the top 15 without. Oh, I hope you enjoyed this countdown. I hope you agree with me on some of them. If not, that's okay. Hopefully we still like each other. Hopefully you will write into the show and say hello if you haven't. And share this show with a friend and a constant reader in your life who hasn't found us yet. That would be incredibly kind. What would also be super sweet is if you gave us a review and subscribed wherever you get your podcasts. That would bring so much delight to my world. You have no idea. It is so great doing the show for those who love King and helping me get to know him a little better. And that will conclude this episode, my loves. Right now, I am in the very, very early stages of Eyes of the Dragon. That is our next fiction novel we're going to be talking about. We're going to head into a little bit of king fantasy for the next two books. We have Eyes of the Dragon, and then we're diving right into last year's king release of Fairy Tale. I've been promising a couple folks I'm going to read it sooner rather than later, so we're doing it. That's all I have for you guys. Please reach out to underratedsk at gmail to say hi. Please do so anytime. I would love to hear from you guys. Hear what you think of the show. Hear what your rankings are. That sounds amazing. And any recommendations you have. Also, if I got anything wrong, page numbers, titles, character names, all of the above. Have some direct quotes for me. Give me some page numbers so I can quickly remedy my mistakes. Wherever you are out there, I love you so much. Thank you for listening.